0: Welcome to the Sustainability Made Easier Interviews podcast. Join authors, researchers, and innovators as they share how they are making sustainable practices accessible to new audiences and making a difference for our planet. I'm your host, Jessie. Some jobs are common. Others are more unique. Our guest today is a California-raised marine biologist who gets to visit some of the most isolated and pristine areas of the planet as a polar expedition guide. Today, I'm excited to interview Amanda Dalsgaard. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Jesse, thank you so much for having me. Before we begin talking about your work as a polar expedition guide, I have an opening question I usually do with people, and that is if you have a book about environmental issues or marine science that has impacted your life that you like to recommend to
1: people. Ooh, that's a great one. You know, the first one that came to mind, which might fall along those lines, is a book called Blue Mind, and it's a book about how being on, near, around, In water changes your well-being, improves your mental state, your health, your emotional state, just all around improvement within yourself. And it's the science behind ocean science and water and how it interacts with our body. That was a very impactful book I had in my life after reading it. So highly recommend it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. I have not heard of that, but I know that being around water makes me feel better. So I will definitely be checking that out. And I will go ahead and put the title and the author in the show notes for people to find. For people that might not know, when we're saying you're a polar expedition guide, do you mind just really briefly, we're going to have a whole other podcast episode on the industry related to this. But if you could just describe kind of what vessel you're taking, and then you're obviously going out in the Zodiac, but what is the main ship that you're on and about how many people are on it?
1: Yeah. So a polar expedition guide, uh, of course, that name can be applied to a variety of roles. But in my situation, it means that I work on an expedition ship because to get down to Antarctica and to lead tours, you, you have to take a ship to get there. And if you don't take a ship necessarily per se to get from South America to Antarctica, some people fly straight to Antarctica. But then again, you have to hop on a ship. There's no airports. There's no land travel. So really, the only way to visit these regions is by boat. And so as an expedition guide, you're working primarily from an expedition vessel, which we call an expedition cruise ship, which is different from a regular cruise ship, which I can go into more detail about that later. But basically, these expedition cruise ships are built and they are run primarily for expedition style cruising, which is based on education and immersive experiences in wildlife and nature. And the average capacity of these ships is about one to 200 people.
0: Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, we're going to talk more in depth about that in another interview. So I really hope that people will check that out. So can you please tell us a little bit more about being a polar
1: expedition guide and what that entails? Absolutely. So like you mentioned, my title is Polar Expedition Guide. But as an expedition guide, you wear one of 10 to 15 hats in any given day. So your job is to, yes, guide and bring people around to beautiful places around our planet. But as a guide, you are an interpreter. You're an interpreter of wildlife, of nature, of history, of the ocean, of everything that you are interacting with as a group. As a guide, you are an interpreter of these things to the people you're working with. Also, as an expedition guide, you have to be able to drive a boat. So one of the means of transportation that we use once we are off our expedition ship is we get into smaller boats called zodiacs. And as a guide, you have to be able to drive these zodiacs through all sorts of conditions, through brush ice, through rough waters, through swell, through wind. Of course, you do get beautiful days, but down and up in the polar regions, you, you never know what you're going to get. So in the field, you're doing a lot of interpreting while driving boats. Sometimes you're guiding walks and telling people, about what we're seeing whether it's a penguin colony whether it's a sea lion rookery it could be anything any type of wildlife could be a shipwreck that has a crazy history of exploration it's quite a large variety of things you're doing out in the field as well as on the ship when you get back so after a full day of excursions you'll get back onto the ship and you will be either doing a lecture or we what we call recaps of the day so recaps are a variety of topics that can cover the things that we talked about or looked at or experienced during the day and if you're doing a lecture they can be a little bit longer and lectures can be on any applicable topic that is related to the experiences that all the guests are having.
0: Yeah that's a lot of different things to have to manage (laughs) in one day. I'm curious how long your season runs and how much time you spend on the expedition ship and if you leave it like if you get breaks or if you're pretty much on for the entire season and how long that season
1: lasts. The seasons run from the last weekend in October through end of March, that's Antarctica. And in the polar regions, they start in May and they go through September. So you have a whole different range of guides, And guiding styles. So as independent contractors, you can have a regular job and work in the polar regions for one or two trips a year. And it can kind of be a side gig. Or you have guides like myself, my partner, a lot of my close friends, we guide pretty much full time. So I just got finished with a five month season in Antarctica. It was pretty incredible. And I loved it. It was my first full season down there. And you get to really see the changes that happen from beginning to end. And it's so variable and dynamic dynamic the ecosystems the environments down there so that was that was pretty cool I was lucky enough to be able to go back and forth a couple times like I came home for Christmas for a couple weeks and then I went back down and then I finished up the season after one more short trip in South America and then I came back down to the Antarctic region so it varies and it's pretty much dynamic as to what you want it to be so you can form your schedule full out working five months straight or you can take breaks it's up to you.
0: That's good to hear so that you maybe can avoid burnout by adjusting to your own personal needs.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So Amanda, since you are not full time doing this because it's seasonal, do you have anything in particular that you are up to in the off season
1: that you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, so recently, I have been working on launching a nonprofit called Ocean Youth Academy, in which I will be bringing ocean science to classrooms, and potentially virtually with this whole COVID-19 situation. So I'm really excited about that. If our
0: listeners wanted to find out more about that, is it available yet?
1: Yeah, oceanyouthacademy.org. It is the website is being built as we speak. So very soon, within the next few weeks, we'll have social media accounts going and website rolling. So stay tuned for more. But Ocean Youth Academy will be the name to find more information about it.
0: That sounds great. So when I was asking my kids, what would you like to know if you are going to find out information from a polar expedition guide? They wanted to know how long does it take you to get prepped for the season.
1: <laughs> you know some people that I know will spend weeks preparing their bags they will They will be going over every item from A to z making sure that they have every bit of camera gear and and wool socks and layers and binoculars and all this gear. Gear junkies have a blast in our profession. But for me, I usually am a very last minute packer. So probably the night before I depart, I'm throwing everything into my luggage and hoping that I remember it all. So it just kind of depends on what type of packer you are.
0: Okay, yeah, I would definitely be in the first
1: category. <laughs> There's no way that I would be like, yeah, I
0: think I'm going to survive for several months down in Antarctica just tonight. I, yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. So.
1: Yeah, it becomes second nature after a while. You know, once you've done it once, it's like, all right, it's like packing for a trip for Hawaii. You know, same, 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 but a little different. Right. Less bathing suits, probably. Exactly. But you do have to remember your bikini because we have polar plunges that we offer on every cruise to all the guests. So it's remarkable how many swim caps and goggles I see guests with. (laughs) Yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, very much so. It's it's great.
0: That is great. So many people only get to visit Antarctica once, but you get to go, like you said, one of the awesome things is seeing how it changes with the season.
1: So does it get more enchanting the more times you visit? I think every trip I've taken, there's a new bit of magic that becomes revealed to me. It's, it's such a dynamic place, like I mentioned earlier. And there aren't two times that you visit a landing spot or a location or an island that it's the same. The weather, the ice, the conditions are constantly changing. The animals present are never the same, especially throughout a season and then throughout different years. Absolutely. It's constantly changing. So it always feels like it's a new experience. And then not even to mention the guests that we have on board, that changes the whole experience as well.
0: That's true. I didn't even think about that, but I imagine that that could really make a trip different every single time in good ways and bad, for sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Yeah. So, as a guide, do you have a preference for the Arctic or the Antarctic? Do you think, if you were a guest, you might have a different opinion?
1: You know, that's probably the question I get most often, and it's a tough one because the Antarctic and the Arctic are are different worlds, and it's completely different guiding tactics and styles as well. (laughs) Subjectively speaking, I prefer Antarctica because I have a bias for penguins, and I love penguins, and I love whales, and I love seals, and just the amount of wildlife you see in Antarctica is unbelievable. And for me, that's what thrills me and fills my heart. It's my passion, teaching people about these things however the Arctic has all of these things as well of course they don't have penguins instead they have polar bears so as a guide it's a much more technical guiding style because you have to be very on top of your game in terms of guiding guests and protection of your guests because we are guiding in polar bear country at least where I'm based for the most part in Svalbard during the summer which is a Norwegian island way way north of the Arctic Circle and it's an island known as polar bear territory and so guiding around polar bears all the guides have to carry flare guns and rifles and they have to keep the safety of their guests as of course their highest priority and so it's very different it's not as lighthearted, but it's definitely tests your ability to guide and your guiding skills when you are up there yeah it's different in in a lot of aspects and that to me being the most prevalent
0: That's actually a great segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was if someone was like, this sounds amazing. I think that maybe this is what I want to do. What kind of skills would they need to be bringing to be eligible to be a guide like you are?
1: That's a great question. So wilderness medicine, having some type of wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder certification is a a great start, kind of getting you in the field of any guiding role. That's kind of a primary necessity. Also being able to drive a boat, a small craft, And having a license for that, that's in my industry, like top three necessities that you need. You need to have some sort of applicable thing to bring to the table. So, you don't want to show up to a dinner party empty handed. You don't want to have a group of 10 guests in your zodiac and have nothing to talk about. So, being able to have a background in a relatable science or history or something applicable to either region is definitely a a plus. So, for me, it's marine biology, but you can be a historian or you could be a Ornithologist, or a glaciologist, or a geologist, or the list goes on. But something that you can bring and teach about, and apply it to what we're seeing. And also having experience in the field, you do see some people that come with PhD backgrounds that have been in academia their whole life, and then turn that academic background into guiding. You also see people who have come from outdoor education and has just upped their game from being an outdoor eddy to a guide in the polar region. So it depends, and there's no cookie cutter example of what a guide is because there's such a wide range of types of guides you see.
0: Thank you so much for that information. Hopefully if somebody is interested and they now have a better picture of what that is and also people who go on these trips, I'm sure that by the end they realize how diverse your skill set is and how much they appreciate all the things that you're doing to make their trip so unforgettable. Yeah, oh.
1: I just have one more thing to add for people who are interested in getting into being a guide in the polar regions. It's not impossible, and today, with the industry being in the boom that it is, there there's a lot of training programs out there that you can go through. Polar guide academies. There's a, a lot of different companies that are offering these different types of academies, and these programs will basically give you training from A to Z on how to be a guide. So if you don't have a background per se, you can go through and you can gain this experience as well. So it's not a dead end if you find that you don't have have the experience needed.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think that is really good to know. I would not have thought that that was a training program that people could (laughs) sign up for, but that's really good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I want to just let our listeners know that if you'd like to see some amazing pictures taken by Amanda from her trips to the polar regions, you can follow her on Instagram. Her account name is Amanimals, A-M-A-N-I-M-A-L-S. Her partner is a polar expedition guide as well and a photographer, and he also has really spectacular photos on Instagram. You can look him up at phil.hunter8, so that's P-H-I-L dot H-U-N-T-E-R-8. And if listeners wanted to find out more about going on a polar expedition, where would you suggest they look?
1: Well, that's a good question because I've never done so. But I would say talk, talk to your local travel agent. That's a good first bet because a lot of travel agencies have connections to the polar regions. And doing a simple Google search is also a good way to start. There's only a select handful of operators out there. So chances are you'll find that handful and be able to pick and choose depending on what you want. And reading blogs is a good way to go as well. A lot of people write about their experiences, what they liked, what they didn't like, and then you can use that knowledge to kind of figure out what you're looking for.
0: Great. And I want to thank you for being here and sharing this amazing perspective on polar travel. Like polar travel is unique. And then you're even like a smaller subset of that. So (laughs) that's so cool that we were able to talk about this. And before we end our talk, I have a few wrap up questions that I do with all of my guests. And no worries if nothing comes to mind. They're not necessarily related to anything that we've been talking about previously. But do you have an environmentally friendly living tip
1: that you wish more people did that you want to let them know about? Ooh, that is a very good question. (laughs) I feel like any environmentally friendly living tip I have is not something that's original.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's fine. It's always good to get reminders.
1: Okay. Of course, I always keep reusable bags in my purse. Plastic bags are a no-go along with my metal straws in my purse so that they are always at hand for when I need them. Yeah, I think off the top of my mind, those are the two that I do daily.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing them. Yeah, those are great tips. And they are good reminders. And the way you suggested just carrying them in your purse to make them available is a really good tip as well. Just that by having them accessible, you're way more likely to use them than if they're like packed away at home somewhere.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's always the number one problem. You forget them. So yeah, keeping them accessible is huge.
0: Yeah, thank you. And do you have a favorite board game or one that you find yourself playing often?
1: Oh, yeah. Except it's minus the board. It's a game called Bananagrams. And it's a bunch of Scrabble pieces that come in a little banana shaped pouch. And it's kind of like Scrabble, but way less rules and way more fun.
0: I've seen that before. The banana pouch is something that I can picture. I haven't played it before though, but I will try to check it out.
1: It's a blast. It's a, I think it's way more dynamic, way more fast-paced and exciting and good for the, the younger generation or older generation. Honestly, my mom loves it. So yeah, good for anybody.
0: That's great. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. Jesse, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I am really looking forward to talking to you again about the whole polar exploration tourism industry. So I'm excited about that episode and hopefully our listeners will check that out when it comes out. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Made Easier interviews podcast and for spreading the word about Sustainability Made Easier with your family and friends. We have more info on our website at sustainabilitymadeeasier.com. Engage in the sustainability conversation by joining the Sustainability Made Easier community on Facebook. Would you like to visit the polar regions with a polar expedition guide like Amanda? Would you like to be a polar expedition guide? What parts of the job sound most attractive, most difficult? Let us know. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to give it a positive rating on your favorite app. It means so much. If you would like to apply to be a guest or sponsor for the SME Interviews podcast, please follow the Sustainability Made Easier website link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. You can always reach out to us on Twitter at Easy Sustainable and at smepodcasts at gmail.com, S-M-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Be sure to mention which podcast you are writing about on the subject line. You can also find us on Instagram at Sustainability Made Easier. Until next time.